Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Last week we launched into a series called Manger King, and we are kind of taking a different approach on Christmas because how many of you guys have heard Luke chapter 2 preached a million times at Christmas? Yeah, and you guys haven't even been alive for a million days, and you've heard it a million times. It's crazy. How many of you guys have heard the same messages at Christmas every year? One thing I do love to do, and you guys will discover this, and you guys, some of you might have caught on by now because you're a smart crowd. Some of you that are new, you'll catch on. I never like to approach things traditionally because I think that what happens when we approach things traditionally Like, there's nothing wrong with preaching through those things. We'll still preach through them, but I always ask the Holy Spirit to to give me something that I've never heard. I grew up in church. I've been a Christian for a very long time. You're like, well, you're not that old. I've been a Christian since I was four. I grew up in church. Like, I'm pretty sure that my mom delivered me in a church pew. I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but like, and also I was born with a flannel on, so it, it, it's weird. But with all that said, when you hear something so often, you can kind of come accustomed to it. And we kind of miss details about things. And so one thing I was thinking about this year, with everything going on in the world, I started thinking about how we need to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because he came the first time through the womb of a virgin, and he was born um, into a feeding trough, and he lived for 30 years or 33 years, 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross, died for our sins. He did that to restore a proper relationship with us and God, correct? But not just that, though. He did that to restore all creation to himself. And so sometimes we can get so caught up on Christmas and his incarnation and Easter at his resurrection that we forget the He's coming back. No man knows the time or an hour. We don't have a date for this, so we can't just put it on the counter. This is when we talk about the second coming of Jesus. But in all reality, he came the first time so he could come the second time. He didn't stop with the incarnation. He didn't stop with dear Lord baby Jesus. He's a conquering king chomping at the bit to come back to take his church and to rule this world. He's coming again. And so I want to look at King Jesus. I want to look at his second coming. His second coming couldn't happen if it wasn't for the first, if it wasn't for the manger, if it wasn't for Christmas, if it wasn't for that, none of this would be happening. But he's coming again. So we're going to look at Christmas but a different Christmas. We're going to look at the second Christmas. And today we're going to talk about the rapture. And so this is a seminary class, so buckle up, buttercup. Um, We're going to get into it. No, I'm just playing. Um, We have three hours of scripture going from Genesis. I'm just... But before all that, I really got to get the necessities out of the way. I have a joke for you. Um, A blind cowboy walks into a saloon. He walks up, fills his way up to the bar, and he's starting to talk to the bartender. And he said, just to try to make small talk, he says, do you want to hear a blonde joke? And the bartender goes, whoa, 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 stop right there, right there. He said, first of all, I want you to know I am a very deadly person. I'm wanted in several counties. Um, I just happen to be a bartender, but I'm also a, a blonde. I don't want to hear your joke. And to top it off, to your left, sir, is the owner of the bar. She is very blonde, and she is also a very deadly person. She chews up men like you and spits them out. And she kills people. I mean, like, she's just, this is a saloon. This is the Wild West. And then she says, 
and the two women to your right are blondes, and they look absolutely disgusted at the very thought of you telling a blonde joke. And she goes, so do you want to continue with your blonde joke? He stopped for a moment, and he said, well, ma'am, now that you've said it, said all that, no, I don't. And she's like, good, that's a very wise decision. He goes, well, it's probably not for the reasons you think. I just don't want to have to explain it four times. <laughs> so dumb. I know, I, I know, I know. You guys want to hear a joke about construction? Never mind, I'm still working on it. Oh, this just, oh, come on, come on, come on. All right, all right. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 51. Yes, that is 48 verses. But it's Jesus talking, so it's going to be worth it. And when I was thinking about, there's a lot of scripture that talk about um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 19, talks about the rapture. And it's probably one of my favorite sections of scripture, but Jesus talks about the rapture and the tribulation all right here. And so we're just going to jump right into it. And he gives us some pretty good instruction. Now, you might be wondering, what is the rapture? Let, let's just clarify that. The rapture is a word not found in the Bible. So just to answer your question, like right out the gate, it's not in the Bible. But the doctrine of the rapture is the doctrine of the church. It means the calling away. And the doctrines is rooted right here in what Jesus says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in a blink, in a twinkling of an eye. The sound of the last trump, for the trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to be with Jesus forevermore. It's when Jesus... This is not his second coming. This is when Jesus tells Gabriel to warm up that old trombone and he blows the horn and he calls all the born again people on earth off the planet. And so this is what Jesus has to say about it. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us what will happen what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. I want you to hear this. I want, I want you to hear this. Verse 4. Don't let anyone mislead you. Let that rattle in your brain. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, they will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, a kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. Some translations say in various parts of the world. But all this is only the beginning of birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let this rattle around in your brain. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom of God, that's the gospel, will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Guys, I'm telling you, Right now, the gospel is penetrating the darkest corners of the globe. Like, I'm telling you, we are within years of every people group hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying every person. I'm saying people group. We, we are there. 
15. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. He's talking about the Antichrist setting up an image of himself in the temple of God. Well, guess what? Where is the temple located? Jerusalem. Guess what's not in Jerusalem right now? The temple. But guess what? They have all the resources to build. The temple. Guess what they're preparing to build? The temple. Guess what's about to happen? The temple. Guess what? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We're getting there. Then those in Judah, Judea, must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began, and it will never be that great, so great again. In fact, unless... That time of calamity is shortened. Not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so, that, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about these things ahead of time. Verse 26, so someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert. Don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he's hiding in here. Don't believe it. For as lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. You're going to see it. God's going to make his entry and the world's going to know. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so will these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be great a deep mourning among the peoples of the earth. Because I can only imagine what that will be is, oh snap, we made a mistake. We didn't believe him. All those crazy people that left us that were preaching something about this. And he will, he will send out his angels with mighty blast of a trumpet and... They will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. Now this is very important. Because the fig tree is the nation of Israel. And we're going to talk about this here in a moment. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you will know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. So suddenly, we have some confusion. Because that was 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, this generation won't pass away. What generation is he talking about? It's the generation that sees Israel become a nation. Israel's a fig tree. We're going to get into it. All right, here we go. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. 36. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son himself. When Jesus was on earth, he did not know when this was happening. He could not tell them a date. He couldn't be like, 2035, November 5th, 7 a.m. He couldn't do that because he was fully man, led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus being fully God, sitting on the throne. He knows when this is going to happen now. He stepped back into his deity. And so, um, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like when it was in the days of Noah. In those days, before the flood, the people 
um, were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. So there's a command there. So you must keep watch. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times. So there's two commands here. Must keep watch, must be ready. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with all the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God doesn't have much respect for hypocrites. If you do a quick Google search, because Google's so amazing, you can see that currently there's at least seven people claiming to be Jesus on the earth leading large cults all over the world. They're claiming to be Jesus reincarnated. I, I wrote this down. And, and, and many have a following of devoted followers. From a retired Siberian traffic cop named Fasirion to a cross-dressing former British spy named David Shaler, these men all claim to be the Son of God. Jesus of Kitwe, Zambia, the taxi driver who was originally beaten by town folks for claiming to be Jesus. And I would expect that treatment as well from you guys if I ever claim that. Because um, maybe it'll knock some sense in. <laughs> now he says he's even more senior to Jesus in the hierarchy of heaven. Makes sense. That's sarcasm. Dear... Um, near Brazil's capital, former waiter Inir Cristo gets around in a white robe topped off with a plated white crown. He has a following of women, which is weird because Jesus never did anything with women, which, whatever. Um, Jesus Meitoya Shoei of Japan, a former politician standing atop a minivan amid Tokyo's commercial heart calmly spreading his gospel. He's claiming to be Jesus. Ben Diskin, this guy, he went around and photographed all these people. And there's a guy in South Africa claiming to be the Lord of Lords named Moses, and I'm not going to even pronounce his last name. Right now, these guys are leading cults all over the world, claiming to be Jesus. And some of them have a huge following. But, I mean, that, and obviously, that's just this generation. Because in the 70s, there's people all over the world claiming to be Jesus. In the 40s, there's people all over the world claiming to be Jesus. They've done this ever since Jesus said, people are going to claim to be me. They're going to claim to be the Messiah. But it's happening on a wider scale now, some of the greatest cults in the world started off something like this. Guy had a vision. Islam found something in a cave. Mormonism. 
It's all the same. Had a private vision from the Lord. Paul says, if even an angel of the Lord appears to you, don't believe it. If it preaches a gospel contrary to what you've heard. And get this, that's how Islam was founded. A gospel contrary through an angel. Mormonism through an angel. Jehovah's Witness, same way. It's almost like Jesus knew. It's almost like the Holy Spirit knew. This is happening right now. The fig tree that Jesus is talking about, he says, look at the fig tree. So Ezekiel and Daniel talk about this. And, and I want to I tell you, I'm not going to go into great detail. I am not an expert on prophecies. I have not studied them extensively. But I do have resources that, that if you want to study it deeper, please come talk to me. I have some podcasts you can listen to of people that have wrote books, and it's very good. They explain it much better than I ever could. But I'm going to give you some highlights, okay? Is that all right with you? And then I'm going to tell you what is our response to all this. Because that's what I'm more actually concerned about than looking at the prophecy and all that stuff. I want to look at what, as we, as a church, how do we respond knowing this stuff, okay? So Ezekiel, though, and Daniel, they are two of the biggest prophetic books concerning the end times in the Bible minus Revelation. And they prophesy about a nation being the earth giving birth to a nation in one day. Never has that ever happened in the history of nations on this planet. Never has the earth ever given birth to one nation in one day until 1948. The British got together and they saw what happened to the Jews during the Holocaust and they said, we're going to give you this area of land. They're like, well, it's our land anyways because God gave it to us, so you can't give it to us, but whatever. And so the British gave it to them and then President Truman turned around and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to recognize them as a nation right out the gate, right in front of the United Nations because President Truman recognized them as a nation. The whole United Nations Council said, you know what? We're going to too. And then one day... Israel became a nation again. No other nation on the history of the planet has gone out from being a nation to into captivity and not a nation to back into a nation twice. That's happened to Israel twice. And so did you realize that the, the time that we live in right now is the most prophesied time in human history? There's more prophecies, biblical prophecies. I'm not, I'm not talking like Nostradamus or idiots like that. I'm talking about um, biblical prophecies. This is the most prophesied time ever in human history. And more prophecies are being fulfilled every single day. The mathematical possibilities of these prophecies coming to pass is impossible. And yet here we are. So Israel stepped in and became a nation. And how God's time works... Whenever the Jewish people are in Jerusalem and in Israel, that's when God's timer starts working. When they're scattered amongst people, it's like God pauses his stopwatch. It's paused. But when they gather back together in Israel, it just starts working again. And so when Jesus says, this generation won't pass away, he's talking about the people who got to see the birth of a nation. So... What generation is that? That's the baby boomers. Biblically speaking, a generation is anywhere from 70 to 85 years. And we're about 73 years into this. 74 years into this. You do the math. 48 till now. We're at the end. I'm not telling you like, oh, like that. I'm not telling you a time or a date. I'm telling you, watch out. And on top of that, these Old Testament prophets prophesied about how there will be an increase in knowledge and increase in travel. So I want want to just hit on these two very things. He said, in the last days, there will be an increase in these things. So I want you to understand, from the time of Abraham till 1900, the number one way of travel, anyone want to guess? Walking or horseback. The furthest you could travel from Abraham till 1900, minus trains. I know trains came about in like the 1800s. But the furthest you could travel was about 35 miles a day. 
because that's about as far as a horse could ride. You ever wonder why towns are about 35 miles apart? Because it's about as far as a horse could ride. So, like, that was, that was the standard. And from the time of Adam till 1900, like clockwork, knowledge doubled about every 100 years. Inventions happened about every 100 years. Like, and that's why it just seemed kind of stale for the longest time. And then 1900 hit. And knowledge started, at, at 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years. After World War II, knowledge was doubling about every two years. And currently, knowledge is doubling about every three months. And medical knowledge is faster than that. And 2023 is the year of AI. So it's even faster. It's like it's, knowledge is doubling, 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 doubling all the time. AI doesn't sleep. It knows everything about you. But it's all right. Just trust Jesus. It'll work out. That's why we're going before the, all this stuff goes down. That's why you need to be ready. So knowledge is doubling. So like this prophecy is happening. And, and at the beginning of at 1900, you could hop on a train and go several hundred miles in several, hundred, in several days. 70 years later, there's commercial airlines, 1960s, honestly, and you could travel around the world in a day. So knowledge increased. Travel increased. It used to be that the person with the most degrees was like the smartest person in the room. Now, the smartest person in the room is the person who can get to their phone first. Yeah. Knowledge is growing. And on top of that, let's just like get into like some of the, you know, the Revelations talks about like, unless you get this mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. You're just, and and, and it's, it, they call it the mark of the beast. I, I just want you to see like the warm up for this. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. If anything, this actually breaks my heart because I love tech. I'm a techie person. I just love it. But right, right now, Amazon has stores that can read your face, and they have stores that can actually read your palm. So as you walk by, you just do this, and they, and they have your biometrics, and it just pays. Like, you don't have to have a card. You don't have to have anything. You just, and they associate that with stuff. And and it's kind of interesting that Amazon has these stores. They actually have stores that you could just walk in, put stuff in, and walk out, and they read you, and it just charges you. And you have to have a membership to Amazon to, to go there and shop. So you can't just shop there unless you have a membership. And I'm not saying Amazon's a mark of the beast, but you can kind of almost see how what the Bible says is actually lining up with would you imagine that the Bible's lining up with what's happening? Like God knew that this would happen? Talk about, right now I could use my phone to pay. I double click this button. It brings up my, my, my debit card and it reads my face. Did it say forehead and wrist? Swipe this. I'm, I'm just saying. It's almost like God knew what he was saying when he said what he said. Israel has been around as a nation. We're right at the end. So we have this responsibility. We're seeing prophecies fulfilled. Nations are gathering against Israel. In fact, that's what the Old Testament says. It says all the nations will gather together against Israel. We're seeing that. So with that in mind... Jesus says, when you see these things, be ready and be watching. Because you can go through, because he says, what? He says, in the day, it'll be like when the days of Noah. We could, like, they were so busy with their life, they weren't noticing. Maybe the ground was rumbling. They're like, oh, that was weird. But, you know, I got to get to my daughter's wedding. I got to get to this party. And they weren't noticing the signs of what was about to happen. And Jesus says, don't let that be you. Watch. He's like, he spelled it out so clearly and be ready. So what is, what, is our, what is our responsibility in response to all this? I'm going to give you three things. Actually, I'm going to give you 
Look, my first thing has two things in it. So, and then I have two other points. So the first thing that we should do in response to all this is what Jesus said to do. It's endure to the end. Endure. Endurance is what you need to make it through something. There's two, there's two words that the Bible currently uses for um, making it through something. Um, it's perseverance and endurance. And the biblical word actually is better. It actually means to have a persevering endurance. It means both, but, then, but in translation, we either choose endurance or perseverance. But perseverance and endurance are two different things. Perseverance, you need perseverance to persevere through a whole season. When I played college basketball, I needed perseverance to make it through the season of basketball. But I needed endurance to make it through a practice. And so we need persevering endurance. Uh, uh, an endurance that keeps coming back and we don't stop. So we endure to the end. Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. God wants us to endure. So he gives us two ways to endure. I'm going to give you two ways real quick to endure. This is how we got to respond to knowing everything that's going down. Knowing that the rapture can happen any moment. Knowing that in 10 years we could be in the millennial reign of Christ. This is how we're supposed to respond. This is how we... The, the, the first thing Jesus tells us how to endure is don't be misled. You will, not be, you will not endure to the end if you are easily misled. The enemy of our souls is the chief character at starting cults and misleading people. He is so good at it. Right out the gate, what is the first conversation he had with humanity? Did God really say that? And he convinced this woman named Eve to give her husband something. He deceived her. He misled her. That's what he does. That's what he peddles. Jesus knows that he's good at it, and he's warning us, don't be misled. Many will come in Jesus' name, claiming I'm the Messiah, he said. But not many will come in Jesus' word. If if this person claiming to be the Messiah, I don't care how charismatic they are, I don't care how gifted they are, I don't care how amazing they speak, I don't care if they're not preaching the word of God, standing on the word of God, they're not from God. Amen. Don't be misled. The number one way not to be misled, are you ready for this? Get your pencils ready. You know, statistics show that if you take notes, you're 80% likely to go to heaven So, are you ready? The number one way not to be misled, get in God's word, a.k.a. the Bible. There's a lot of text out there that claim to be God's word, so that's why I had to say the Bible. There's only one true holy manuscript given to man from God, and it's the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. That is it. And if you're reading any other texts that claim to be holy, you are listening to demonic wisdom. Stop it. There's only one holy text, and it's the Bible. There's only one word of God. If you have another book in your library that claims to be the word of God and it's not the Bible, throw it away. The Book of Mormon. No, and there are other two books, Pearl of Great Price and Covenants, whatever. Burn them. Get rid of them. Get, don't even give them away. Throw them away. Get that crap out of your house. It's demonically charged, and you will live under oppression. There's only one Bible. Get God's word in you. You don't want to be misled. Get God's word in you. Know it. Believe it. Say it. Pray it. Stand on it. That's God's word. That's what we have to do. People, are, people who are misled don't know the real Jesus. We see it all the time in the American church. They're believing in a Jesus that's man-made. And a man-made Jesus is the same thing as an idol. 
There's only one Jesus. He's found in the word of God. And he wasn't always easy to listen to. People have fallen in love with the image of their own design. And if Jesus is of your own design, he's not God. The only way to know the Son of God is first through the Word of God. We've got to be people of the Word now more than ever. Guys, I don't want you to be misled. I don't, I don't want that. Like if you're living off of what I'm teaching on a Sunday morning, you are going to starve to death. You've got to crack open the Bible on a, your own. You've got to get into the Word of God Monday through Saturday. You've got to let it transform you. The Bible is the only book where the Holy Spirit, the author, meets with you as you read it. No other book will do that. God will help you understand it. Don't get me wrong. We're about to launch life groups in February, and we're going to have Bible studies, and we're, we're, we're here to help each other grow. It's going to be good. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you. you. There's no substitution for the Holy Spirit revealing the Word of God in you. I want to help you understand it, but I'm still a man. Commentaries are great. Devotionals are great. But there's no substitution for the Holy Spirit and the Bible. You've got to have the Word of God. You don't be misled. Number two. No, this is not point number two. Go back. This is the second. Um, spend time in prayer. Don't just read. Like if you just read the word and never spend time talking to God, guess what? You're going to become studious, but you'll have no relationship. God might speak to you through his word, but there's a lot of atheists that know the Bible very well. The Mormons know the Bible very well, but they're not spending time with the person of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in them. We've got to be a person. We've got to be people of the word and people that pray. People of the word and people that pray. It's hard to be misled when you know the real deal. It's hard to be, it's hard to be pulled away and enticed when you've experienced the real presence of God. Because the enemy knows how to give you goosebumps. I've seen people shake under the presence of God and I've seen people shake because they're filled with a demon. It looks exactly the same. Feels completely different. When you know Jesus through the Holy Spirit in you, it's hard to be misled because the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to you. He's saying stuff like, that's not from me. That's not for you. Hey, no, don't do that. He's leading you. He's always guiding you. He's our helper. He warns you against things that will mislead you. There have been times where I've turned on a cartoon for my kids and I'm listening to it and it, it looks innocent and I just feel in my spirit like turn that off. Come to find out there's articles coming out a couple weeks later that like, oh, it has all the same sex junk in it and all that stuff. And I just turned it off in episode one because the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's not for your kids. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. I, and, and like... Something about that didn't register well with me. I'm not going to be misled because the Holy Spirit's with us. The second thing that will help us endure to the end, I want you to hear this, is stay on mission. Share the gospel. What did Jesus say right after? I'm going to read it real quick. The, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news will be preached about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. Stay on mission. It's hard to be misled when you are doing what the Lord told you to do. This tells me that one of the defenses on top of being in the word is doing what God tells us to do. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel for the glory of God. If you look at the church in North America, some of us 
have become political activists and we pander to people and we virtue signal all the time and we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and we go out of our way to do all this cool stuff. We feed the sick or feed the, feed the poor, clothe the poor, help the sick, all those things. It's great stuff. But we quit sharing the gospel that requires us to repent. We could feed all the homeless. We could give them all the clothes. And if they go to hell, they're going to go to hell warm and well-fed. It's all for nothing if the gospel's not being preached. We have to stay on mission. I would rather preach the gospel day in and day out and not feed another person and not give another coat out and let that person die and go to heaven than just give, meet their needs here and then they go to hell. I know that's hard. Do, do I want people, do, do I want our church to help people? Absolutely. We help people all the time. I heard a testimony this, this, this morning of one of you guys going out of your way to help someone. Praise God. Keep doing that. Keep loving people. Keep showing the love of Jesus. But we have to stay on mission. One of the complaints there was a church in the, in the New Testament that Jesus, in the book of Revelation, he said, man, you're doing everything right, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. They got off a mission. The mission of the church is not to feed the sick. It's not to take care of widows. It's not. To, it's not. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel. Now, you might say, well, Ryan... Jesus fed the multitudes. He had a compassion ministry. Yes, he did. He also fed them after he preached to them for three days. Sometimes we forget that. What else did he say about the poor? You'll always have the poor among you. The, the, the disciples got indignant that someone would take a year's worth of $50,000 worth of perfume and break it over Jesus' feet. And they're like, oh, that should have went to the poor. And Jesus is like, are you serious right now? You're an idiot. He didn't, that's the Ryan translation. He said, no, 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 no. He defended the lady who, who, who poured this on his feet. And he said, you will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Now, if feeding the, the poor and providing for their needs opens the door for the gospel, by golly, we're going to do it. But if we don't have the end game of the gospel, we're not. That's just how it's going to go. It, the, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We stay on mission. If we don't want to be misled, it's so easy. How... How sneaky the enemy would be, is to get us to do all these things and then not share the gospel. Oh, we're doing good things. We're taking care of people. We're loving on people. Praise God. But if the gospel's not going forth, it's all for nothing. We, we stay on mission. Do I want to, to do all those things? Absolutely. To get the gospel out. We always are working an angle. I will tell you this. I'll say this publicly. Our church is always working an angle. It's the gospel. We always work that angle. If we're downtown giving out water, it's the gospel. If we're putting on a movie for our community, it's the gospel. If we're giving out Christmas pictures, it's the gospel. If we're, if we're putting on a, a mental health seminar, it's the gospel. We're always working an angle. It's for the glory of God and for the gospel message to go out. We, I don't want us to be misled. So we get in the word and we share the gospel. We stay on mission. The second thing I want to leave, leave you with real quick. We must keep watch. He gives us a command, keep watch. Jesus is telling us to pay attention when we see these things happen. We should not be frightened or filled with fear. The enemy wants you to be filled with fear. What does fear do? It, it, fear, fear, there's two responses to fear. There's fight or flight. 
When we see these things happening, we shouldn't respond with fear. We should respond with faith. Praise God, Jesus is coming back. Praise God, he's about to crack open those skies. Praise God, he's about to rapture the church. So what do I do in the meantime? I share the gospel and I read the word and I worship the Lord. We don't, we don't respond with fear when we see these, these prophecies coming. That's what the world does. Oh my goodness, there's another war breaking out. There's always another war because people are idiots. We praise God. We, we, we take and we watch. Oh, praise God. Oh, another prophecy just got filled. Praise God. We watch and we expect why do we expect Jesus to return? We should have a healthy expectation. Oh, it could be today. It could be today. We, it could be today. We expect. Why? Does anybody know? Because he said he keeps his word, right? Because Jesus keeps his word. If he said he's going to do it, he'll do it. So we expect. We're excited. Oh, man. Jesus is about to. So we're watching. We're expecting. Oh, man, I can't wait. We're waiting. That's our response to prophecy. And we keep preaching the gospel. We stay on mission. I'm telling you guys, it's amazing. Mathematically impossible. The number of prophecies that have happened since 1948 when Israel became a nation. It, it's not possible. And God keeps doing it. We're at the end of the end. Keep expecting because God keeps his word. The last thing I want to give you, we must be ready. We must be ready. We must be ready. Jesus, right after he said, he said, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect. He says, a faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give responsibility of managing others in his house. Can the Lord give you responsibility? of doing what he told you to do, which is preach the gospel. Share your faith. We must be ready. I believe that's what a faithful servant does. He does what he's told. How are we ready? How do we get ready? We live our life like Jesus is coming back today. We wake up with the expectation Jesus is coming back today. We don't let it slip out of our minds that Jesus can come back today. We get that in our head that Jesus is coming back today. And man, if we make it through another day, praise God, he's been faithful. He might come back tonight. <laughs> How cool would that be? Wake up in heaven. It's interesting, right after Jesus said all this, he gives a parable about the ten virgin brides. And they don't know when their groom is coming. So they all have lamps and they all have oil. And how the bride, how, how the groom knows to find his brides is with a lit lamp. And what happens is five of the brides bring enough oil and five of the brides bring extra oil and they don't know they thought he was coming he didn't show up and then all of a sudden in the middle of the night this cry went out and it said the bridegroom is coming and all these women start scrambling and the five that had extra oil lit their lamp and then the five who did not bring enough oil said hey give me some of your oil and they said we can't we can't so they left to go get more oil. And when they left, that's when the bridegroom came. And he found the five who were ready. And he brought them into his kingdom. And then the other five came to the, the doors and they started beating on it. They said, let us in. He said, I don't know you. Away from me. Where there's, there's grinding of teeth and gnashing of teeth. And this thought hit me so strong today is some of us have oil but we're letting it burn at the wrong time and we're letting it burn for the wrong person we're letting our oil burn for the world 
for letting our oil burn for the things of this world instead of letting it burn for Jesus. Some of us need to evaluate our lives and ask, what am I burning for? Because it's only the people who burn for Jesus that are ready. Maybe you're saying, and get this, those five brides that weren't ready, they brought oil to burn for their bridegroom. But they burned out. Some of us have been serving the Lord and you feel burned out. You're like, man, I've been doing all this work for you, Lord. And look what it's got me. I just feel burned out. And some of you guys need fresh oil. The oil throughout the Bible has always been synonymous with his presence and anointing. And some of us have not gone back to Jesus for fresh oil. The advantage that we have over these brides is that we can go to Jesus and get fresh oil. Maybe you're burned out. Maybe you've gone through a rough season and you're like, getting up every morning is a chore, getting to church is a chore, but when you get here, you put a smile on and you say the Christian thing to say and you're like, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored of God. But it's a chore. The Lord's saying, I got fresh oil because I want you to be ready. I don't want you to burn out. And the reason why, some of us have burned our oil for ministry and not for Jesus. Some of us have burned our oil for a church body and not for Jesus. Some of us have burned our oil for our kids, but not for Jesus. Some of us have burned our oil for our marriages, but not for Jesus. And you're burning out. And you're burning out. And the thing is, when you burn out, you start looking for other sources of oil. They left where they were supposed to be to look, go find different sources of oil. There's only one source of oil, and his name's Jesus. I want you to be ready. I want you to burn with fire for Jesus. But you have to let him restore your oil. It's not on you to do it. Don't look for other sources to do it. So how do we respond to this? This is not a Sunday morning cry your eyes out at an altar thing. I've cried my eyes out at plenty of altars. I've turned around and walked out of the church and went right back into the same stuff. Because emotions and crying does not change you. But what we can do this morning is make a conscious decision in light of knowing that Jesus is coming back. And guess who he's coming back for? Those who are ready. So we have a conscious decision this morning to say, I want to be ready. Lord, where am I burning? What am I burning? Am I burning for you? Or am I burning for something else? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves in our walk with the Lord. I want you to be ready. I want C1 Church to be ready to be a herald for the king to say he's coming. Get ready. But we can only get ready if we're ready. So let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning as you're worshiping. Maybe you want to find a seat. There's Turn around, pray. Your seat. Come up here and pray. But let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning to say, Lord, give me fresh oil. Restore my oil. Let me burn for you. 
Give me a new passion to burn for you, Holy Spirit. I don't want to burn for anything. I don't want to burn out on this world. I don't want to waste my oil. Don't waste your oil on anything but Jesus. And maybe you have and you feel empty. Well, this morning, God is here to refill your oil. You, it's not too late because the rapture hasn't happened. It's not too late. He's here to refill your oil. So as a team starts to lead, I'm going to ask you guys, I know this is different, but this is a personal thing. You need to pray. Lord, refill me. Top me off. Maybe you're not empty, but you want to be topped off. Maybe you are empty. Lord, refill me. This is a personal thing that you need to pray. I can't pray it for you. I, I, I do believe me. If I could, you would be right now because I pray for you guys all the time. I pray, Lord, use them, anoint them, fill them up. But you have to decide. Maybe there needs to be a repentance. Lord, I've been burning for the wrong thing. Forgive me. Get this. The Lord says you're forgiven. Now come burn for me. So as a team starts to lead, I'm going to do something that I'm going to let you guys respond how you feel like you need to respond. If you need to kneel down at your seat, if you want to come up here and pray. But I do know this. We need to respond. You either need to be topped off or you need to be filled up. We need fresh oil for this coming season. We need fresh oil to launch into 2024. God's about to to change the shape of this church. He's about to change our, our body together in such a powerful way. And we need fresh oil. And we need to be burning for him. Nothing else. As the team starts to leave. Respond. I sing praises to your name. Praises to your name. The name that's so much higher than all. And all honor to your name. And all honor to your name, King Jesus. The name that's so much greater than all names. Oh, See you. 
Lord, because you are the one that knows me best and loves me most. And, and you don't say that about me. So, Lord, I pray that you will help them to receive what you say. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You are more than a conqueror. That's what God says about you. You are loved and highly favored. You are who God says you are. You are not defeated. You are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are not that. Release it right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Lord, let there be such a gentle spirit on their life. Let there be such a difference of peace in their thoughts. Lord, I pray that you will lift their heads. Lord, you are the lifter of our heads. I pray right now that you will lift their heads to look to you and see what you say, see, say, see. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for your church today that you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Turn your countenance towards them and may they have peace in the powerful mighty, omnipotent name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So be it. So be it. Give it up for Jesus. He's a mighty God. A mighty deliverer. Thank you, Jesus. I love you guys.